Hello and welcome to the latest episode of The Old Lady Speaks on Black and White and Red All Over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 12, the Antonio Kimenti episode. And seeing as Juventus just played Sampdoria, it's very convenient that we are on number 12, seeing as Nono Kimenti's last Juventus quote-unquote contribution came as he was getting scored on from midfield by Antonio Cassano and subsequently breaking his hand in the locker room after the game. So congratulations for Antonio Comenti for getting back into our thoughts for the first time in oh, about a decade or so. So with that being said, <laughs> I am joined by the usual quartet here of Sergio Romero. Hello, Sergio. Hey, fellas. Happy to be here. As always, happier than the last episode. I am joined by Chucks with his fresh new haircut. Hello, Chucks. Yeah, I got to stay fresh, keep it clean. So <laughs> fresh and so clean. It's probably the most gangster I've ever sounded on this <laughs> podcast, but fair enough. <laughs> Back to professionalism. And somebody who, like me, is probably in need of a haircut at this point, Sam LaPresse. Hello, Sam. Yeah, especially in this weather. I've, I've, I, I really am commiserating with the guys who are running around in an Italian summer right now because in the New York metropolitan area, it's about 10 million degrees. Kind of reminding me of the, that story Claudio Marchisio once told that by the end of that game in Neus during the World Cup, he was hallucinating. Going outside basically just turns you into, into a puddle of goo. Yeah, seeing, seeing as it's been uh, triple digits pretty much the last week here in my portion of the state of Oregon, I can definitely relate to... Uh, to Claudio. But anyways, uh, we are coming to the day after Juventus clinched a title and in kind of the fashion of Juventus this season, not exactly convincing fashion, but as we saw from these title contenders this year in Serie A, you know, post-lockdown form is pretty much anybody's guess outside of maybe Atalanta. So uh, I will turn it over to Sergio first. Your thoughts on Juventus clinching their ninth consecutive title and Giorgio Chiellini only needing one more to fill out all 10 fingers in terms of titles he's won at Juventus. It's, it's insane. that I mean, like, we sit here and it be, it's become kind of like a, yeah, like a regular reoccurring thing to be like, oh, we won the league again. But the more you think about it, it's like, I, I don't care who you are. I don't care in which league do you play for. I, nine straight league titles, it's, it's absolutely unprecedented and, you know, it's it's kind of nuts to think that Chiellini, you know, the only guy that's been here for that, for those nine years, just you got to be happy for the guy, especially as he struggled with injuries the last last couple of years. And, you know, like you said, it was, a, you know, form after the lockdown was, you know, kind of like anybody's guess. But, you know, every team had to, had to contend with this. It's probably one of the weirdest championships we'll see, maybe ever. But, yeah, I mean, you can we can talk about form and we can talk about you know whether or not they played convincingly or whatnot but you know it's been contender after contender after contender that tries to take this crown from from Juba and you know they just have failed to do so now through three coaches and through a lot of squad turnover you know the the players that are key now they were not key a couple of years ago and what have you it's just it's just an amazing an amazing accomplishment and i think you know we we can sit here and, and pick apart, you know, the things we haven't liked about Juventus this year. But, you know, truly, 
you gotta you gotta give it up for for the organization for the team for you know just everyone just great great accomplishment especially in, in such a challenging season so all in all pretty pretty happy for for the team for all of us as fans at the end of the day you know it's awesome to to be able to always have something to celebrate at the end of the year and it's been going that way for nine straight years hopefully hopefully another one let's make it around 10 i think that'd be nice by the way, yeah, Sergio, I, what did you think of the uh, Scudetto hashtag thing as you've you've worked in Scudetto hashtags into your your post seeds last few years? You know, it was it was it was strong. It was good. It actually <laughs> made sense. It's you know, the, the the fun thing about this is that they started doing this like a few years ago. I don't remember when exactly. I think when they won the, it was number the fourth four. one. It was the, the fourth, fourth one. one. Yeah, exactly. And if you look back on it, it's it, it's completely meaningless. It's it's impossible to understand what they were going for. But it was trendy at the time. So it was like, oh, yeah, we have to add a number. And then they kind of like got stuck in this trend and they have to keep doing it despite that no one else is doing it anymore because, you know, they, they kind of like did a thing. So now they're kind of like locked in to it but uh you know it was actually good it was decent much better than last year's which was i think wonderful or something with an eight which i mean sure do it but i mean actually actually really surprised with with what they did good job good effort juventus social media team <laughs> i gotta agree i mean i'm not much much of a social media person myself but yeah i mean like you said, uh, Sergio, once you get stuck in it, it's like, oh, well, I guess we have to do it because we did it last time, too. So I guess we ought to do it again and again. So uh, we'll see how long it keeps going. I imagine uh, if we get the 10th one next year, I imagine that'll be the last time they'll do it. And then, But who knows? Who knows? Frankly, I mean, what do I know? I, I don't work in social There are a media. lot of long words that you could use with double. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I can yeah. think of I can think of illustrious for, num- for if we get to 11. Like, oh, yeah. I think one of the things that I agreed with Massimiliano Allegri more than anything else is that style points are irrelevant. And, you know, there was a, there was a, a big article in Goal about how Juventus are the champions, but not the best team in Italy. I, I hate read this thing because I thought it was really stupid. About it wasn't how Tim Vickery, are- was it? No, no, it wasn't Tim. It was he. Uh, uh, <laughs> Chucks would easy. not allow that to happen. Chucks can rest easy. It's fine. It doesn't really like. It doesn't matter if you're playing the prettiest football. What matters is how many points you have at the end of the season, and if you have more than everybody else. And that is what you. That's what. That's what counts, and that's what Juve has. And you know this, as I said in my match review that went up today. You know Juve obviously. You know this wasn't the kind of soaring offensive football that we we're all hoping for when Maurizio Sarri came up and, and became the manager, but they still had enough in them to outlast two challengers who were taking a step forward. One more who was really, really good and just had a a really rough start. And at the end of the day, it's nine straight championships, which is nothing like anybody has done in the big five leagues before, you know, and, you know, with the turnover and the and different coaches and there's still no one that can take us. And yes, the, you know, you know, there'll be some people that'll certainly say that it's a little bit 
screwy because of how weird everybody's form was after the lockdown. But there's also no way to predict how people's form would have been had the season gone on as no, as as usual. So you're you're trying to predict a an impossibility there, which I've never really thought. Also, just found the the name Mark Doyle of Goal.com. He he was part talking about how Juventus weren't that great and part I think using the article to shame Andrea Agnelli for that remark about Atalanta going to the Champions League that he made earlier this year that got a lot of people ticked off it this continues to be a historic run that we're never gonna see again I don't think anybody in the top in the in the big five in Europe are gonna play like this are gonna win championships at this clip ever again so just you know keep enjoying the ride is what I say well, I think possibly Bayern at this rate, <laughs> the rate at which Bayern are going, they, they, <laughs> they will be, probably be my next shout for uh, this type of run. I think they've won now four in a row, so or no, um, four or five, I think. So Lord knows they'll be next. But uh, yeah, I mean, overall, obviously, you know, despite all the grumbling and all the huffing and puffing and all the, you know, differences we've had with the way that uh, Juventus have played, at the end of the day, I mean, very, very happy that we have gotten the ninth ninth title in a row. Frankly, though, relieved. I mean, my first sense was like, whew, we didn't screw it up. <laughs> you know, after uh, after the game against Sampdoria on uh, yesterday, of course, Sunday. I, I remember reading um, Sari's comments, and I mean, he made the note. I mean, it's, it's objective fact, but just once he put it in that term, it's like, oh, wow. You know, he said, I think he said the first day of the preseason was July 2nd, I think he said it was. And then, you know, here we are, July 26th, 2020. So a year and, what is it, uh, three-ish weeks later that the title's been sealed. I mean, it's been all things that considered all things that have happened. It's been really just an extraordinary season plus year, really. But, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, like, grateful. I don't want to, you know, sound like a ungrateful or just kind of taking it for granted because we're going to realize in years to come that this was extraordinary i mean this was just absurd i mean nine titles in a row i remember um when leon uh, olympique leon um our good old opponents to come uh when they had that run of seven titles in a row with uh the likes of i remember sydney Kohu would play and i think sylvan viltor was also on that team you know, that was that was a brilliant team. I, thought, I remember thinking, like, wow, that's, like, the most ridiculous thing. Seven titles in a row. That's, like, you know, that's just never going to happen. And here we are. Nine titles. So, um, yeah, I mean, hey, here, here, and uh, ten, hopefully, <laughs> next year. Yeah, and, and I think especially with, you know, you, you mentioned it, but I think that's the point, right? Just organizationally, it's it's Bayern and it's Juve, and it's, it's not only winning every year, but just to have that consistency every single year. Like, we just don't see it, especially in, in leagues that, you know, we, they call them the top five for something, right? I mean, they are the top leagues in Europe, and it's hard Yeah, the to, big five, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Once you look back on it, and you look at all the other teams that have, like, presented a, a challenge, I mean, this year, Lazio looked for, for a while there that they had a number that they were going to really be a big challenger. You go back to other years, Napoli, those, those, those actually Mauricio Sarri, Napoli's teams, you go back a couple of years where Inter were good. I mean, it's, it's wild to think that in those nine years, you never had, you know, a Juventus team that was, you know, weak or, or bad or something. I mean, they, they can just stumble like who, 
I don't think we can see just this consistency, you know, ever again. And as long as we can, you know, keep it going, like you said, like, let's enjoy it and let's just appreciate it for what it is. It's not, you know, it hasn't been as pretty as we would have liked, but that doesn't take any credit away from, from what this, you know, just institutional, institutionally, the success that, that this championship is now. And just chucks for for the record, so we don't anger our friends over at Bavarian Football Works. It's seven straight for Bayern currently. So, oh, did I say four? Oh, blimey! Wow, I was off. <laughs> Gosh, yeah. oh, pardon me. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've been I, I've been thinking, and and I've had a conversation about this with some friends before as well. Is like you know there are three teams in Italian football history that are referred to as Il Grande or La Grande. There's one Juve team, one you know, obviously the Il Grande Torino and uh, Helenio Herrera's interteam from from the 60s. What's this, what's the name of this going to be? Like, they're, they're, this is going to, like, how is this team actually going to go down in history in terms of what they're called? Because there's, you know, it, it seems like they're, they're going to have to pull out all the superlatives in the Italian language for this because it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be so difficult to replicate. Sounds like a job for Sergio Romero and his hashtag skills. <laughs> I'd be happy to to give it a go, man. No, but I think that's a that's a great point because, like, you you think of the other you know dynasties, if you want to call it that way, you know, they were always usually kind of like powered by a couple, like a core group, or or maybe a special, a very special player, or a very special coach. You know, you you can do that for for any sport, not not just football, where you're like, okay, they were this was the core, and of course, a bunch of guys kind of like switched around, but this were the guys that kind of powered you to to the championship. Now, as we celebrate the ninth straight championship, the only player that's still here with us is Giorgio Chiellini, and he's been a drastically reduced version of himself this last couple of years. It's been three coaches. It's been so many players that, you know, from the start to right now, it's it's really going to be, it's really not going to be, I think, just like, like Sam mentioned, one of those old teams that you remember. I think they're just going to remember the organization, the club, the, the way they handled this, it's, it's been awfully impressive and, and you gotta, gotta give credit to them and hope, I mean, yeah, I don't, I mean, I really hope we can keep this streak going for as long as possible, but it's, it's been really, really great, really great to be a part of as a fan, as, as just as a football, you know, watcher. It's, it's been, it's been a true great last nine years. Yeah. As I was going through the photos that we get, through the blog for our collective articles that we have in the aftermath of the Sampdoria when I, I noticed that Paulo Dybala and Alexandro were holding up five. And I was like, has Paulo Dybala really been around for five years already? I mean, it doesn't seem like that long, but you think about it and he's been around for over half of these yet. You know, we think about, you know, the Marquisios, the Buffon. Three now for, for that have, that are five. It's uh him, Sandro, and Kadira. Yeah. And you, you think about, you know, the likes of, you know, what was it two years ago when there was that kind of that great picture we, we've run a handful of times of Buffon and Licksteiner and Marquisio, Chiellini, Barzagli just standing there all holding up, you know, how many... And Bonucci. And Bonucci, yeah. How many, how many Scudetto, Scudetti they've run in, one in a row. And it's just like, you forget kind of with all of this success that and all of the roster movement that's, that's happened, that there are still s- some mainstays. And, you know, we talked about Chiellini, but, you know, outside of Buffon's 
year in France. He's been around for eight of these. You know, Bonucci, outside of his year in Milan, he's been around for eight of these. There, there are some mainstays for all this movement that, that has been happening. I think just having the, that, albeit it's small now, that constant presence of, of that core that has been around since the early days of this run still, it's, it's good to see from you know, our point of view where you know, we've, we've been following this pretty much since the beginning of it. It's, it's good to see those guys are still here and there's still that kind of old, old school presence as obviously Juventus wants to move into the future and, and do all kinds of, of bigger things beyond just winning league titles. The slightly more uh, nefarious side of, of, of a single club winning nine straight titles. I remember reading an article, a two-piece report actually by the chief football writer at the Independent, Miguel Delaney. See, I quote someone else. Eh, see, equal opportunity quote. Um, but um, he's... <laughs> but yeah, so Miguel Delaney, ready, he wrote... Everybody keep your shot ready. It's still coming, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, I've got a shot at all you people, man. All you people. There's wisdom. Wisdom is not, you know, <laughs> monopoly good. It's to be shared. Uh, not my wisdom, other people's. Of course not. I'm just some guy. But um, Miguel Delaney, anyway, he wrote a two-piece report. First one's called How Modern Football Became Broken Beyond Repair. And the second one I cannot find. I think it's called How to Fix It. can't find that one for some reason. But anyway, he outlines in this piece just the level of financial concentration that's occurred in the game and that how that has resulted in unprecedented like title victories across Europe. So we mentioned Juventus 9, Bayern 7, and he has some other clubs as well, if I can find them very quickly. But in that, in that article, uh, in that two-piece article, he just talks about that and just about how serious that actually is, the implications for that, just with respect to the... Um, competitive balance in European football. And, uh, oh, I have found it, actually. The New Saints in Wales, eight straight titles. Bayern, seven. Well, in uh, Cyprus, I believe. Seven. Salzburg, six. Karabag, six. Astana, six. And anyway, all these these clubs. And then, of course, Dinamo Zagreb, 13 of the last 14 titles. Uh, I think Celtic. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, Celtic, of course, as well yeah, have like. Celtic, uh, yeah, when, yeah, Celtic when Rangers went into bankruptcy, just basically had free reign in Scotland for forever. Yeah, yeah, they had like seven. They had like seven or so as well. Uh, Dundalk in Ireland, five of the last six. Just the level of concentration of results, sporting results across Europe. PSG, um, PSG as well, of course. And I'm just quoting from his article here. He says that there's never been a situation where so many of Europe's leagues are suffering such domination at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, you know, the very serious implications just for, you know, the future of football, the sustainability financially and sporting wise across Europe. So I just thought that was, you know, interesting to point out. And uh, I'm, I mean, I'm sure we're going to, you know, in the future, we're going to have, a, as we talked about before the show, uh, going to have a podcast episode specifically as kind of a season wrap up. But yeah, those are kind of the things that I look at from a, like a macro perspective of like, okay, you know, obviously celebrate this as a fan, but as a fan of the club, but as a fan of football, how do I look at this type of trend? And a little bit more concerned in that respect, but as a fan of the club, I say uh, Campione d'Italia. We'll uh, 
transition into the massive Twitter questions that we have with a Twitter post from our friends at Chiesa di Totti. Juventus wins their nice straight title. Good for them, but horrible for the league, which is quickly becoming a joke due to their laughable financial advantages. So <laughs> I think we know where our Roma friends stand on it. Uh, no. It's, it's it, I mean, at the end of the day, though, we have that massive financial advantage, but it's not because we, you know, got massive oil money from the Middle East or mineral money from Russia or anything like that. We, we got it because Daniele's family really did plan better for the future than the rest of the league did, you know, between getting our, you know, between getting the stadium and, and all the other things that they did to, to really run the, a pretty tight ship up until two years ago when they started to really splurge. And it, it, they, they plan, you know, the, 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 the 2008 financial collapse certainly hit the league really, really hard, especially since it was still trying to pick itself up out of Calciopoli. So that whole thing was just, it, it 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 we have the, yes we have that huge financial advantage but it's not necess- it's not as fake or ill-gotten or as a lot of the other ones are like Manchester City PSG that sort of a thing how do you spell that by the way yeah um it, there, there's an n and a g and a couple of h's in there and i think a u all those spelled i n t e r Oh, shots fired. Speaking of which, one of our Twitter questions was asking, how does it, from uh, at Justin Soforio, a question for an inter, interista, how do I properly celebrate a Scudetto in the summer? So just, just wondering how Inter celebrates the title. Yeah, 404 error, page not found. I don't know. Over the weekend, seeing the guy who led Inter to the Champions League and their last league title celebrating a Europa League spot now with Tottenham was pretty entertaining. So that's that's the current state of Jose Mourinho. I'll direct the first Twitter <laughs> Twitter question as we transition smoothly into into that. At Sergio from our friend at Bachisabi, best approach in these dead rubber games before Lyon. And if you guys don't know, Juventus's last two games of the season are Wednesday at Cagliari and then at home against Roma to finish things up Sunday night. We were actually talking about this earlier in, in before we started recording, but uh, as I think everyone here agrees, there's really no point, no reason in in just not playing the entire under-23 team and, like, gave Daniel Ergani, he's another starting, and Carlo Pinsogli, why not? Like, he should be starting. Like, at this point, I, I think uh, Sam made, made, uh, made a comment that, you know, there's this kind of, like, unspoken rule that, you know, especially if you're still playing – for something you shouldn't be doing that because we play Roma and they are actually playing for like European spots and whatnot. But I mean, especially with how many injuries they have and with how, like how much workload every player in this team has had. I mean, I would just straight up start the entire Primavera squad and, you know, give them as much rest as possible because once the Lyon game, you know, if they actually beat Lyon, which is a, if but if they do bit Leon and they go into the Champions League, you know, round of you know eight semifinals, final, you know, Thunderdome thing that they have going on in Portugal, you're gonna need those guys as rested as possible. So I would just, I would just, you know, play with as much of my under twenty three players, as much as like bench guys I can, just to give yourself a shot at that, at that weird loopy Champions League you know, run that we have 
you know, that we have coming up. Yeah, I mean, I got to agree with Sergio there. I mean, for for all I care, play um, uh, Buffon's grandchild, for, for all I care. I mean, <laughs> he's not that whatever. old. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no. Sorry, that was harsh. No, was harsh. <laughs> he's early 40s, not early 70s. Uh, I mean, you know, where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> yeah, that's keep keep the biggest keep the players that we need off their feet as much as possible so we, we've gone this long in the podcast without really mentioning Mauricio Sarri a whole much and I think his story from where he was a few decades ago to now manager of a Scudetto winning team is obviously something that people should look into if they don't know the story and I know James Horncastle of The Athletic had something big about it so from at Pete Fry one, sorry has had criticism, but his team never sat back on a one-goal lead. Yes, that has meant that we're conceding, but Allegri was pelted for sitting back, which yeah, he was. So, can we acknowledge that we are in a moment of transition and need more suitable players before completely judging Maurizio Sarri? Yes, I can. <laughs> I, I think that that's the the that's the 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 absolute attitude to take towards this, especially considering the stoppage and everything that went weird in that regard afterwards. I think it's, I, I, I think you, you can't just go and say he didn't work when he doesn't have players whose characteristics work well with what he does. And also that, that the season just became unjudgeable anyway based on on the stoppage i mean no one's gonna no one's gonna talk down to filippo inzaghi not filippo inzaghi simone inzaghi for for what happened with lazio because there's just no way to judge that when you know you're playing every three days during the restart and your entire roster ends up injured i do think that we have to go all in if sari is staying around there can be no half measures here, you know, do what he needs to get his stuff done up to and including if he says, Hey, maybe if somebody will give you a hundred million euros for Ronaldo, take it up to and including that honestly, because at this point we're at that point of, we got to do this now. But if you're going in with sorry, whole asset, don't half asset because that's just going to make things worse. Yeah. I mean, First of all, get out of here with that mild, super reasonable take here. Like we're in the take business. You have to, you have to be like, no, it's a failure. The team played bad. <laughs> if they don't win the Champions League this year, it's over. It's done. No, but uh, on a serious note, I, I agree wholeheartedly with, with Sam. I mean, if you're just gonna, you know, you, he's probably going to stay for for next year. I think that's that's a fact. I think that's gonna happen. So yeah, I agree with hundred percent. I mean, if if this is what you truly believe as the as the plan and is the idea to continue the success that the that the club has had, you have to just fully fully buy in. And and let's also like, I mean, I, it it sucks to to say. I mean, it doesn't suck to say, but it, it's kind of like a, you know, it's always less fun to actually bring perspective. But it's going to be really tough for for me to say that this is a failure of a season when you actually won the league, when you made the Coppa Italia final, when you have a decent to good shot at making the, the quarterfinals of the, of the Champions League. You know, I mean, that, that's especially for what we all consider to be like a, like a transitional year with the new coach and everything. It's going to be pretty tough to, to justify, you know, try blowing everything up after 
the current success. So, so yeah, I, I agree 100% with you guys that, you know, if you're going to do it, just, just do it. Just actually build a team around his system and see what happens. I can just hear Fefu screaming already like, what? Not a, not a <laughs> failure. What? <laughs> um, I can just really, has, hear. Has, has he been outspoken about Mauricio Sarri in the last couple of weeks? Oh, I can just hear his gears grinding on that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'll shoot the next question over to you, Chuck, seeing as we're on the topic of Mauricio Sarri from at always Dario. How big is the quote-unquote rebuild required for next season? And will Sarri get the players that he actually needs? And I mean, I, when I see questions like that, I just throw my hands up because who the hell knows what's, what actual, you know, economic constraints Juve's really under, you know what I mean? Yeah, there's so many variables that we just don't know. You've, I mean, you've answered half the question, you know, who knows? <laughs> you know, throw your hands in the air and say, who knows? Because, yeah, frankly, there are, like, in normal situations, there are already a lot of unknown variables, and we know that this is anything but a normal situation. So, I mean, there are just so many variables to discuss. I guess the only, the only way I can give a decent enough answer is to say that in terms of the rebuild it just depends on um typically i mean typically we all say that you know you rebuild or you build a squad from the front from the back you build it from defense midfield all the way up to the attack but i mean sari's style of play is obviously very gung-ho very attacking so does that mean you build from the front and then into reverse you know from the front going into midfield and defense. I mean, I don't know if it's possible because, I mean, those are two very different circumstances, very different scenarios, because that changes significantly the transfer uh, priorities that we'll be looking for. If we're building from the front, I mean, you know, Kulusevsky, of course, he'll be coming. But, uh, I mean, does that mean we replace certain attacking players or do we keep them at, keep the current ones and build on that? Uh, as a priority, or do we just start with, you know, getting a, well, getting healthy fullbacks for one, you know? So I think that really depends or, or on the Or actual fullbacks. Oh, or, yeah. That's a good <laughs> point there, too. <laughs> fullbacks, period. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that, I think that depends. The priority uh, on building from the front versus building from the back. I, I do think the size of the rebuild has shrunk a little bit over the last few weeks as Adrian Rabio has suddenly gone from the guy everybody wanted to dump on the street to the best midfielder we have. <laughs> these last two these last two weeks, especially, he's just taken this massive jump into the player that Paratici was telling everybody we were getting when we signed him on the free and all of a sudden might end up being one of the best free transfers we've had in a while. I, I do think that it's going to be, I, I think from, from what you were saying, Chucks, the going from the back front, I think in terms of center backs, you don't have to go too overboard because you've got Delict Demerol. That's a good foundation for long-term fullbacks certainly need work. The midfield still needs another piece, I think. Talking about Lyon, who we're going to see, that uh, kid uh, Awar looked really good in the first leg, has looked really good in what I've seen of him, uh, and we've been connected to him a lot. So, 
And when it comes to the front, we definitely need a number nine because I don't think Higuain's going to be around next year. But other than that, you really have to take into consideration, you know, what's going to happen with with Fernandeski, what's going to happen with Douglas Costa. It, there, there's going to be certainly a bigger retooling, but I think Rabio has alleviated some of that. So, Sergio, who should be the number nine? I don't know, man. I, I have no take on that. <laughs> there's a lot of good players out there. No, but, you know, be, being serious, I think I think Sam throws out there something that's that's huge because I, you know, I threw I threw the you know the the hypothetical on the latest scrap bag. Is the midfield really as bad, like in such a bad shape as we think it is? Because with the way Rabiot has been playing, with the way Bentancur has shown that that you know he can hold it down, you know, is it so crazy to think Arthur is going to come in, maybe solidify the other position, and you know you kind of have that depth of of Blaise Matuidi and Aaron Ramsey, and maybe you bring in another guy like you know another you know off-sided. Uh, rumor target, you know, with, with Manuel Locatelli, for example, something like that. And then that group starts to look, listen, I'm not going to sit here and be like, that's an elite group. Of course not. But maybe that kind of like bridges you through next season and with a little bit more of time in, in Sarri's system, you know, maybe that kind of like makes the team better on the short term without having to, you know, go, go really crazy, especially in, a, you know, especially in, in the current uncertain times that, that we have going on. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Like, do you really think that maybe I actually agree more with, with Chucks that, you know, the fullbacks are probably, you know, I would actually focus much more on that because you have no depth. You have like, you know, if, if one of those guys goes down, you would really have really, really thin depth there. So I would actually point to that. If we're going to do a rebuild, quote unquote, I would point to that that group much more than than the midfield actually yeah like Juventus is now entering the final week of the season with one healthy fullback if Danilo's out for any number of games because of the collision he had that caused him to be subbed off on Sunday so and and that's been the case for like a number of games this season I mean we had Blaise Matuidi thrown out there like a last resort type of thing because yeah they're like awful awful thin there there's this book by a gentleman called uh, H.H. Jacobs. Uh, he was, I think I heard about it on Freakonomics Radio. The title, the title of this book is uh, It's All Relative. And that's exactly my answer to kind of uh, Sergio's question, which is it is really all relative. I think, is the midfield really a disaster? It, it's all relative to kind of what the needs of the team are. So I think the midfield is not as terrible as it might seem for an Allegri t- uh, type of uh system or team but i think it's pretty inadequate for a sari type of team that really is kind of the bigger point here again with what we've been talking about the last few weeks of you know okay should we should we criticize sari sure but at the end of the day if he hasn't had the right tools to complete the job how much should you really blame the handyman and how much should you blame you know his boss that didn't give him the right tools. So I think, yeah, I think the midfield is good for Allegri's type of team, but I really think it's not anywhere near adequate for Sari. Plus even the depth, uh, the lack of depth, I should say, <laughs> is definitely not good enough for a Sari team. But yeah, again, it's all relative, which uh, I think I heard is a good book, by the way. It's all relative. All right. Next question from our 
buddy at Hondi Vondi. Are you guys more relieved that the Serie A season is essentially over or more concerned for the coming season starting in a month and a half? Oh, really? And, and, <laughs> as, <laughs> and as a follow-up question from our buddy at Semperti, my only question is this. Will you please not respond to any question, comment, or concern that at Hondi Vondi has? <laughs> and if you stop posting data, man, <laughs> then I will. That's uh... – and as a follow-up to that, at Hondi Vondi, directed at me, Danny, my question is this. On a scale of 1 to 100, how inaccurate 100 are Semperti's stats? Our Twitter questions have now been a, <laughs> a battle between two of our most loyal readers. On a serious note, I actually have a, a chapter in my book about just that whole data versus like kind of the data obsession of football these days which i'm sure semperty will like very much any sport really yeah 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 yeah, true but i think definitely in football i mean a slight tangent here but definitely in football because from my experience anyway with football it really wasn't such a data heavy sport i mean sure data was used but not in such an obsessive way as it has been in the last few where a few years i've really noticed that trend shift towards you know, expected goals and uh, there's another new one, uh, all these heat maps and all that, you know, it, it's, it really is kind of like just that shift. I've noticed that is, it's very, uh, I've well, never it, it's interesting. Those. I've never understood those numbers though. Like by, by expected goals, we should have beaten Atalanta, but you want to watch that game back over and tell me who the better team was. Yeah, exactly. You know, and it's, it's, and, you know, this, this debate riled me up so much that indeed I am, you know, that I dedicated a chapter to it in my book, which you can view on my website. Okay. Um, and yeah, like, like you say, you, you, you described it perfectly. Okay, by expected goals, we should have beaten At- Atalanta. Well, we bloody didn't, did we? <laughs> we tied them. So who really cares? I mean, if by expected goals, you know, we were expected to win this or win that. I mean, we bloody well didn't, did we? And I love, um, there's this article by uh, the brilliant, always, always brilliant, uh, Jorge Baldano, formerly of Real Madrid. And, you know, the title to this article really just says it all. He says, I love football because it's the opposite of science, contradictory, primitive, and emotional. Yeah, I, th- I think this just quickly devolved into a pro stats or against stats discussion. So just really quickly, I think, I think it's valuable in context. I think if it's not in context, it's pretty... You know, it really says nothing. I think the examples you guys just mentioned is so key. You know, like, oh, well, according to this, like, we should have been in Atalanta. And then you look at the games, like, well, you know, there's something, something there is kind of wrong. So, yeah, I think, you know, in context, they're good. But I, I wouldn't, you know, I don't think they're the end-all, be-all, especially in football, where it's so, you know, kind of like so hard to quantify you know, the impact of a player it depends so much on the system, on the coach, on the form. Like, it's just, it's it's pretty tricky, I would say, in general. Yeah, and I, I found, uh, don't worry, I found the quote. Let me see. We love football for its imprecision, its moments of genius, and its mistakes. When the ball bounces badly and the left back plays terribly because he's had a fight with his girlfriend before the game. And there's no equation that can explain that. I just, I love that. I, I love Jorge Valdano a lot. He's just a... He's a very romantic uh, football lover, and he just kind of brings that emotional aspect back to the game again, uh, which you know I just I think it's very refreshing in uh, in the shift towards data, excessive data, if you ask me. But 
like I said, it was a very interesting discussion, but I don't want to divulge too much out the Twitter question. So uh, <laughs> I'll uh, cede the floor back to our overlord. <laughs> so is that how we can explain some of Alexandro's marking lately? <laughs> They're expected goals. That's how. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm talking more about the fight with the girlfriend. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to go into that. <laughs> <laughs> From, I don't want to get sued for libel. <laughs> yeah, right. And we'll we'll uh, start to wrap things up here with some fun with small sample sizes from Fabrizio Morataya. Do you guys think this team will realistically improve its game before the Champions League? So basically, will they get better in the next week? <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> I mean, maybe in the sense. Of, sorry, I interrupted you, Sergio. Go ahead. No, I just you know if you want to be positive, if you want to like really talk yourself into this team suddenly being, you know, significantly better two weeks from now, you know, rest can do. I mean, I think, you know, just a lot of guys, their problem was that they were just gassed. They were completely gassed. And, you know, I could definitely see, you know, you know, not playing Rodrigo Bentancur for a while and not playing Cristiano Ronaldo for a while. And, you know, maybe Matthijs Delic, who has also been like all over the place, you know, giving him a break, you know, I, I could definitely see, you know, some, you know, some improvement in their performances. But as a whole, I don't really think, I think this team is what it is at this point. And, you know, outside of, of you know, like I said, a couple guys being rested and actually playing a little bit better. I don't think you're going to see something, you know, drastically different. Yeah, I, I, I think you hit it on the head there. I, I don't think that we're going to see like, a magical eruption of Sarismo in the two weeks between now and the Lyon game. But if Sari manages people's minutes right, I certainly think that if we end up with, you know, some rested guys, that the overall play will be better just because you know, tired bodies make for tired minds, make for mistakes. And, you know, like you saw Juan Cuadrado at one point, go down, uh, go on a run uh, yesterday, going on a run down the right side where nine times out of 10, you see him just bust the fullback and the fullback, um, I think it was Algello, reined him in really fast. Like that's a tired, that is a tired body right there. It, so yeah, I, I think the team can get better in terms of that, but we're not going to suddenly see the, we're not going to suddenly see this mismatched set of pieces go into the round hole. That's not going to be a thing. I think more than anything, it's mental rest that they will get because uh, I think Sari mentioned in his post-match comments again yesterday just the mental strain that this year, year, not season, has been. I think his exact comments were like, you know, uh, okay, we've had a three-month rest, but I don't know how much of a rest it is to see to be cooped up in your home and see people dying all over the world, you know. And I, and I thought that was very... I was glad he said that and just put it in a human perspective and just in a, you know, bigger picture perspective and remembering that footballers are human beings too. Footballers have families and uh, lest you forget, and I think, I think it was Pep Guardiola, his mom actually died from uh, COVID-19. So, you know, these remembering that they're human beings and that they do need indeed a mental rest from just uh, just a remarkable 12 months it has been. And indeed last, especially the last three to four or oh, I should say five, five, six months with COVID. And uh, yeah, so just remembering that as well. And hopefully they can get a mental rest before 
things kick off again in, uh, was it Portugal, uh, Lisbon for the Champions League? Yeah, just some perspective. Mauricio Sarri was hired on June 16th, 2019, and Juventus's Serie A season will be ending on August 2nd, 2020. So, I mean, that just this tells you how much this pandemic has really just thrown things into just total, I don't know if chaos is the right word, but just, you know, something we just haven't seen before. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's crazy how we're still sitting here. <laughs> you know, we, we'd be watching friendlies in a quote-unquote normal season right now. So, yeah, it's, it's been an interesting ride, and you know, we've seen Juve win a nice title, even though we thought, you know, in July we'd be seeing pictures of Dybala on vacation or something. Yeah. Although the one good thing, I guess, about the shutdown is that it got us, that bought us the time to start this whole endeavor up. <laughs> yes it sure did <laughs> on that note speaking of our podcast you can subscribe to us on itunes and apple podcasts on spotify and on google podcasts please feel free to leave us a review and a rating you can always find us on social media as well so feel free to bug us there thank you for all the twitter questions i think this is the largest response to a twitter question we've had since our debut podcast and compared to that when we didn't actually have games to talk about that says something so thank you guys as always so for sam for sergio and for chucks this is danny saying thank you very much for listening stay safe out there and we'll talk to you guys next time